My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 84 of Legally Clueless. I'm super happy that you're listening to this podcast. If this is not your first time, I've got mad love for you. Thank you for being part of the tribe. If this is your first time ever listening to this podcast, welcome, welcome, welcome. Join the tribe on Twitter. Of course, the hashtag is Legally Clueless. And on Instagram, just look for Legally Clueless Podcast. Or you know what? I'll put a link to our IG page in the description of this episode. I also want to say a big thank you because we just surpassed 800,000 online streams. Like, what is that even? <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> Legit, that was my reaction because where? if you listen to episode one, I think you understand my reaction. Like, I don't know. I think in my head at the time, I just didn't think... I think I was just so full of doubt, <laughs> doubting myself, doubting my capabilities, doubt all around. So that we've gotten to this point is still mesmerizing for me. Yes, the self-doubt has decreased, but it's still very much there. <laughs> but nonetheless, I'm really happy that you resonate with this podcast and maybe even it's helped you navigate some things in your life. So later in this episode, you will listen to a story that I really enjoyed recording. Okay, I enjoy recording all the stories, but this one, I guess I can still feel that enjoyment because I only just recorded it last week and it's by Jerry. Listen to this. I remember Bonnie walked in and I see this guy from the corner of my eye with a leather jacket and a helmet and I'm like, guy, faff. I met Bonnie a virgin. When I was in campus, we had a group of friends and we had exchanged chastity rings and said, this you will give us when you get married. When we got married, it was during PEV. And because he was a journalist, he calls and you're just hearing gunfire. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is what he must have been going through at that time because we fought about everything. Then I call some guy who was with Bonnie, ask him, Mama Lisa protest. He says, well... I'm like, uh-huh. Has anyone been arrested? I'm like, kuna mtu maumia? Eh, mm-hmm. maumia? Then he says, moja. Then I'm like, nani? Then he says, boni, wamedu. Wamem shoot. It was lonely. It was painful. It was confusing. I was very angry. Wow. My life stopped. How do you leave when you stop leaving? And I imagined, what would I tell my children if their father died? I was super excited to be able to have Njeri on this podcast because her, her husband, Boniface Mongi, and their children just released a movie that's basically documenting the last five to seven years of their lives. And it's so powerful. It's called Softy. I'll tell you more about it a little later. I have had the... Ah, I don't know even how to explain it. Like the last two days, well, three days have been full of extremes. It's so weird, like how you can have really good moments and then like an hour or two later have a really trashy moment. Yeah, is there a word for <laughs> explaining that situation? So let me just rewind a bit. So yesterday, I think I, I, I don't know. I think I, I may have had an emotional breakdown of some sort i'm still trying to understand it or possibly i'm overthinking it but anyways so i'm part of a program where survivors of sexual violence which by the way during this pandemic has 
increased? Will the survivors receive access to safety nets, which is basically like cash transfers to help them remain stable and not reliant on an abuser or have to stay in an abusive environment? You know, they get access to legal counsel, to counseling, to shelters if they need. And so basically, my role is to document stories around this program. So yesterday, one of the stories I was recording, which will come in upcoming episodes, so even you prepare (laughs) to have the same breakdown as I did, I, I, I recorded a survivor. Just listening to a story, I I don't know, something broke for me. I don't know. We're recording the story. There's a counselor on standby and someone else from the program. I'm crying my eyes out. (laughs) Oh my God. And I'm trying to like monitor the recording because you know, I'm like one woman team guys, remember? So (laughs) I'm handling the tech, everything. And then I'm like bawling my eyes out. And this was during the recording. After we finished recording, I learned of statistics in this damn country of ours, Kenya, that made it very clear that this country has done jack shit to protect women. And so the story and these statistics, which again are going to be coming your way in upcoming episodes, made me very angry. In hindsight, at the time I didn't know I was angry and scared, but in hindsight, there was a bit of fear. It's a fear that I think for very many years I've tacked behind me. And it's a fear of you know, getting raped again. (sighs) So the story, the statistics, the lack of any form of (laughs) progress from the government, I don't know, it just reignited that fear that I haven't really felt for a while. So anyway, during the recording, I cry. I think I'm done. I mean, I even like take fun photos outside in the space that I was in. They had this nice container that has all of this dope woman power graffiti on it. So I'm taking photos. I've like packed up all my stuff. I'm thinking I'm I'm calm. And then I get into the car and I call a friend and we're meant to be doing this this project together. So I'm calling him to tell him, you know, this week we need to get ABCD done. And I don't know, I think he could tell from my voice that something was wrong. And he asked me, are you okay? Wait, 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 y'all. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one, like when you're, either when you've already started crying or when you're on the verge of crying. If somebody asks you, (laughs) are you okay? It's like the top gets open and I was bawling my eyes out. I just even put on my shades because I'm like the cars beside me might just be wondering, I... (laughs) Is this woman fit to be driving, really? What's not happening in that car? At a point, I parked on the side of the road in front of this gate that I thought was like an office. And since it was a Saturday, I was like, nobody's in. But then the guard came out and he's like, Madam, <laughs> what's happening? And my eyes are red. I'd worn my lashes. So I'm there like, you know, the edge of the lash, like the outer side of your eye. I can just feel like... <laughs> It's getting loose. <laughs> oh my God. But my friend was still on the phone with me. So I tell the Ascari, oh no, I'm just lost. I just want to turn. And I proceed to sit in front of the gate for like maybe five minutes. Then I managed to drive home and I was just talking to my friend and I was so angry and I just felt like so let down. You know what I mean? Like so let down by 
everything. And I'm a very hopeful person, but in that moment, I felt like I had 0.0001% of hope, <laughs> which is now so strange for me. And then also with anger, I don't know how to process anger. It's just an emotion that I really battle with. And so most of the times when I'm angry, I cry. It's probably not even from the anger. It's from the frustration of not knowing what do I do with this anger? Like, who do I project it on? Who is to blame? You know, it was wild. So I got home and then I proceeded to watch Enola Holmes, which by the way, guys, is a really good movie. If you just want something that's not too heavy to not make you think too hard, but is a light watch, I would recommend that movie. And the guy, Superman, who plays Sherlock Holmes is kind of cute. So, hey, <laughs> there's some eye candy. <laughs> anyway, that's really besides the point. I managed to like calm down. Am I better today? I think so. I'm not sure. I'm tiptoeing around my emotions, but I'm going to journal after I finish recording this episode. So yeah, I think I think that will, will really help. But I am cognizant of the fact that there are many conversations around sexual violence happening. And I just want to speak to survivors. Please be gentle with yourselves. We actually have to be so gentle with ourselves, especially now. These conversations will maybe might take you back to somewhere dark. And then when these conversations are being had online, they're such nonsense takes like, why are you coming to share it on social media? Go and report it to the police. But we did. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, I don't even want to get riled up about it. I just, I was not being gentle with myself. I've been working around sexual violence every week since March, February, actually since January, because that's when we started creating the Safe 247 curriculum. Then March, signed this book deal and I'm writing about my own survival of rape and then now this program so i <laughs> of course i was going to break i didn't see it then but in hindsight i'm like but chick what were you expecting what did make me um feel better last night and even this morning is actually the song of the week i i just decided to make it the song of the week because of how yesterday it soothed me into today i've had it on repeat it really does make me happy it's a song by kamau and he features Taliba Safia. I hope I've said her name right. The name of the song is Mint. I haven't really chambuad the lyrics, like really gone through the lyrics the way I normally do with songs because you know how I love words. Whenever I listen to the song, it reminds me of this specific thing. All right. When you're in love with somebody, love somebody or feel for somebody in a very intimate way and you are kissing this particular person because obviously you have to breathe. So, <laughs> so you have to take breaks. That space between you people, sometimes you could even break into a smile. That space is such a happy space. It's such a happy moment. I don't know if I'm the audio. <laughs> Are you guys kissing rights? <laughs> You're meant to feel these emotions. But yeah, that space is this song. For me, I, I do need to go through the lyrics 
more to really understand the meaning of it. I don't even know why it's called mint, but that's what it means to me. And it always just makes me so happy and it's so calm and soothing. The link to it is in the description of this episode. I'm getting a bit carried away (laughs) while talking about it. Uh, but rewind to sometime last week, I watched a film that I think everybody needs to watch, especially if you are in Kenya. Honestly, not only Kenya, everybody needs to watch this, but I'm saying Kenya because we're gearing up for our elections in 2022. Please do not let the election time come before you have watched Softy the film. It's a film about Boniface Mwangi and Jerry Mwangi and their kids. And obviously we know Boniface Mwangi as an active citizen a mobilizer, and he even ran for a member of parliament in the last elections. This entire process he's gone through from being a very active citizen to running in the elections came with threats to his life and threats to the lives of Njeri, his wife, and his kids. Her and the kids had to leave the country for nine months because of their safety, to keep safe as he was running in the last elections. And so I watched the film. I'll tell you my take about it a little later, but Njeri is on 100 African Stories in this episode sharing her story. 100 African Stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. So my name is Njeri. Njeri means daughter of a warrior. I am from Nairobi, Kenya, born and bred. I was born in Nairobi. I went to school in Eastlands, Umojawan Primary School. And then when I was eight, my mom, I think my, my parents just, there was so much going on. So she sent me to boarding school when I was eight. It crushed me. Like, I don't know if my mom ever, ever thought or knew how bad it crushed me. But I quickly adjusted. Well, not quickly. I eventually adjusted. And so I was in boarding from eight till campus. My younger sister joined me when she also hit eight, nine. So I was her elder sister and uh, the age difference is three years. So I, I kind of took care of her through boarding school. When I'd come home for holidays, we'd go to Shags in Moranga. We'd pick coffee, get paid per, you know, kasuku. I would milk cows, take the cows to the river with my cousin. Most of my cousins would come to Shags and we would have a big meal. It was a small kitchen room, you know, that three stone and it's smoky and you open the window and it gets too smoky. The firewood is kept just above where the hut meets at the tip then underneath there there was a whole rack of firewood so that we would pick it and would cook and my grandma would serve all 16 of us you know and the plates would pass and then we'd wash our legs that big bakuli metal you know bucket to be put in the fire then you'd all get a little a little wash your legs then you wash a candle and you go to your to the house to the main house to sleep then in the morning, breakfast was a whole bash. It was a simple life. I enjoyed my childhood. You know, I guess I learned to instead of stay bitter because of that. And maybe I did stay bitter for a while until I was married and with child that I kind of, I realized that that, that heaviness lifted um, about being sent to boarding school when I was so young. I think when I got married and when I got married and because we got, uh, we got our son and then got married like um, just about a year in. In that time, just the complexities of life and relationship and family, I, I thought of my mom and thought of all the choices she had to make. And sending me to boarding was one of them. And she thought she was doing the best for me. So whatever judgment I had placed on her, we'd never had this conversation. So whatever judgment I'd placed on her, it just lifted. I was like, imagine I get you. It was not the nicest thing, but I understand why you would do something like that. So I finish high school. I go into acting. 
when I was in high school, I did a lot of theater. I hated the thought of going to the field. So anything that would keep me out of the field, unless we are cleaning up, mm-hmm. I would opt for. Mm-hmm. So I did dancing, I did acting, I did singing, I did music. But music I did out of passion. I love music. And acting, I just, it was so, you know, the way you lose yourself in a character and you can be this person and say it this way and do that and that. I loved that and I still do. So when I came out of school, of high school, immediately I joined Heartstrings and I acted with Akina Mudamba, with Sami, with another lady called Carol. I mean, these people have gone and become big Majina Kubwa, you know, Akina Benta. And I had such a blast. But then my mom, my mom is very strict. She rules by the road. She was like, ah. What are you doing now? You need to go to school. So come January, I was going into campus. And my show was in theaters that same weekend. So I'm supposed to go to school on Wednesday, Thursday. My mom is like, eh, eh, me have paid fees. But my show is this weekend. And I'm really looking forward to it. I've publicized and all. And she says I can't. And I remember we had a really, really bad exchange. But I was like, by the way, I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I really had a blast. But I knew that was the last time I was doing that because I was like, I can't, I, I can't be in this kind of relationship with my mom. So I didn't do it again. So I go to campus. I was studying communications, public relations. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't sure what I wanted to study. And I trust my brother with my life. So my bro told me, Jerry, mini me I think this will suit you very well. And I guess my bro really does know me because I did it and it it comes so easily, so naturally. I'm a people person. I listen. I easily relate with people. And then I completed that. And when I did, I loved hospitality. So me and travel, man, they just tell me where. Pay the tickets. Just tell me where I need to be. So I went into hotel. I worked in Naivasha for a year. And while at the same time, I was doing a lot of experiential training. So I'd train companies on team building. I did a lot of team building activities, uh, mostly outdoor stuff. Then in 2006, I'm hanging out with my friends. Oh, I need also to say that I was raised in church. Yeah. So I'm a Christian and a strong believer, uh, a born again Christian, so to speak. And so I, I, w- I was in hospitality. So when that year ended, I met, I met, we, there was a, a sermon series in church. I go to Mavuno. And at that time, the sermon was very controversial, sex in the pulpit. And I'm like, about time we talked about some things. And guys were like, I manzi, no, we can't do, we can't start talking about things like that in the church. I'm like, but why? This is what people are doing outside. This is what the congregation is doing. So you can't say that it, it's not comfortable. Suddenly the lights in the church have been put on and we want to duck. No, let's have this conversation. So when we came out from church, we were with a group. You know, uh, Steers used to do this buy one, get one free ice cream. So we'd all gone to buy one, get one free ice cream. And we had a big table at Steers Wabera. I remember Bonnie walked in. Like it was a big oval table upstairs. So I see this guy in, I was seated on the edge where behind the stairs. And I see this guy from the corner of my eye with a leather jacket and a helmet. And I'm like, guy, like everything just went into slow motion. There was a movie called Renegade. You remember Renegade? (laughs) Yes. My God, I was like, ha la 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 la, this is not happening. So anyway, he walks in and goes to the guy on the other side. I felt like it was a tease. I had to pinch myself out of it for, by the way, you were, and I was the one who was talking. So you can imagine how I completely lost my line of thought. Anyway, he went to that guy and they talked a little bit. Here, I'm trying to gather my thoughts and not stare and nini nini. And then he left. But now when he was leaving, again, the world stopped kidogo. I was like, what? That is the closest I have come to Renegade after my TV. Like, Renegade just jumped out. I was like, hey, okay. 
kidogo hapo he'd confuse me and i thought that was it yeah. as in i did not imagine there would be i mean i don't think i'll meet renegade you know so even him i just let the guy go incidentally he when he was standing there for those two minutes of his life he saw me from the other end of the table and he was like wow that chick is fly but more importantly i love the way she's expressing herself and making her point arguing her point and so he made a point to ask the guy he had come to see to give him my number and the guy he asked was my friend was like is it but your number to evoi mm-hmm. i need to ask her and all he's like okay wait wait, wait, wait don't ask her cuz now if you if you tell her i'm just asking for her number that'll be so from the blue so for a whole month he thought how do i get this chick's number he was like wait I am a photographer. I shoot for pals. I can tell I'm shooting for pa- I want her to be a cover model. So he said, "Please call her and tell her this is what I want." So the guy was like, "Okay, sir." So he calls me and I'm like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. Wait. That guy, the biker guy, the guy, that guy, like while stopping with guy." He said, "Yeah." And I'm like, "Okay." Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, 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 okay. And then he calls me and tells me, yeah, I'd like to take a photo shoot of you. You know, would you like to come and see what blah, blah, blah. I can come and check what you'd like to wear. So we did the photo shoot. And then as they say, the rest is history. Because <laughs> in between there, there's so many things. He took me for a ride. Because in exchange, I told him, fine, if you want a photo of me, You have to do something for me next. Year. Are you paying me? Is that not paying me? No. Okay. So then you give me a ride on your bike to any place I want and then you can take my photo. He said deal. He comes and picks me up with a spare helmet and a spare leather jacket. Akiskuyo. I would have flown like a bird. I remember we hit Ngong Road and I was screaming the whole way. The adrenaline, the excitement was just So we went, we rode I don't remember what we talked about. I don't even remember what we did. Mm. I remember the ride and that thrill. But when he took me back home it was almost 10 p.m. And and now he was talking about what where how he's grown up and what he wishes would be different and how many, how now there are more people that are living growing up the way he grew up than when he was growing up. So if there was like 100 people, now there are 300 mm. and he didn't like that. He was like it shouldn't be either we maintain 100 or we should actually be trying to lower that number nobody should, should grow the up the way i did and i was like what when you had to grow up so he tells me about his life and i'm like what there's a whole other life that i know nothing about and then now he takes me to the places he grew up he talks to me about his mom and he shows me you know specific places which have stories so there are memories attached to it and i was completely sucked in i was like oh my gosh this is the story of millions of people our dating period was all of 6 hours or something that bike ride and that date and that take me back home ride i met bonnie a virgin mm-hmm. believe it or not a lot of people laugh about it i'm like yeah i'm those ones <laughs> so i met i met bonnie when i was a virgin and when i broke my virginity i felt like oh my god my days are over in this earth like me the god i serve surely what the heck is this yeah. what have i just done i felt like i needed to go and and prostrate myself before the lord and get cleansing and get you know exercised and a, a lot of stuff and i felt like i disappointed my family my parents the the raised as well uh, i have let down the church i have let down my siblings i have let down my community i felt like i just failed in life when i was in campus we had a group of friends and we had exchanged chastity rings and said this you will give us when you get married okay so we had a bond but now me i couldn't keep my ring 
So what I did, I removed it and I gave it to Bonnie. I told him, you you must be the custodian of this because now it does not mean anything to me anymore. And so I told him, I called him and I told him my pregnancy test is positive. By then we had broken up. It had been like six, seven weeks. Because I was like, even if we were on to a good thing, ah, yeah, it's over. There's no way any good relationship can start like this. Of course, now I know better. So I, I had cut it off. I told him, I don't want anything to do with you, blah, blah, blah. This is just wrong. It's never. It was never going to work anyway. Because for me, when we were together in those... In, was it even a month? It was like, this life can't be real. I was in a happy place. The one, you know, I, I was like, hi. Like, I know this won't last, but let me just enjoy it while it does. And I didn't think it was going to last long because surely life can't be that good all your life. So when, when that happened, I was like, it's a wrap. And then I called him and I told him I'm pregnant. How he received it on the other end, I nearly dropped my phone. I was like, huh? He was so excited, Adele. My God, I'm like, when you come a story, it was the first time, and you're happy. You're not even shocked, surprised. He was very happy, but me, I just thought, okay, my my whole world came crumbling down. Cause then I was like, this, I'm going to be a mom. I'm the first of my friends, so it was just very difficult for me to deal with that for for like five six months. I kind of withdrew, and we really, I don't know how we survived that time. I think he's also a very strong man because I have never, I have never been that bad that was my worst self and still he stayed but i also realized wherever he went he was the father of this baby so whatever happens we are in this this guy is going to be in my life forever so then after a while i kind of styled up when my firstborn came when my baby came the first time my pregnancy was more emotionally mentally difficult because of having to reconcile myself with this newfound state that was not for now, was for after I was married. Mm -hmm. But now I'm having to be that now and not married. I really struggled with that. But I had a very supportive community around me. And I remember the lady who then was my best maid told me to just learn to be in the moment, whatever that moment is. I didn't know what that meant at that time. But I realized that I can only be pregnant and just be in that pregnant state. When I need to worry about breastfeeding or childbirth, I'll get there. So don't bring it here. Imagine it's coming. So chill, wait for, wait till it comes. And for every season of my pregnancy and labor and even the baby that the, when the when my son was born, there was what I call sufficient grace, more than sufficient grace. Now my mom who rules with an iron, she completely embraced me. I did not tell her I was pregnant until I was five months. Worse still, she didn't learn it from me. I told my brother and my elder the sister who then were like we what but we have to tell her so they go for dinner and then it's almost morning because they're not they're trying to get to it they're like hey okay fine we really have to say it now so they tell my folks my mom just said oh nice okay she can come home i was living with my friends where we were sharing rent and says yeah she can come home even tomorrow and my bro calls me and tells me, eh, to me bonga na made. I'm like, eh? I was like waiting to be told, just don't go anywhere near home until that baby is born or just wait, we'll, we'll work this out. But he told me, my mom said I can go home. I'm like, did you tell her I am pregnant? As in, and that night I didn't sleep. And then she sent me a very sweet message that same night. She said, Jerry, I love you. You're fine and everything is going to be fine. Please come home. Me, I cried. I cried. I cried so much because I was like, I have really disappointed you. This is not the way you saw my life. And I know you had such big dreams for me. And I know I have your support, but this is not the way. I'm sorry. And I, I can't say sorry 
how do I say sorry now? I moved back home. She took care of me. And when my son was born, she only gave him to me to breastfeed because that's the one thing she couldn't do. But she took care of him, you know, until when I left the house. So four months before our son is born, I stopped fighting and kicking and screaming and being a brat. <laughs> and and he's, he, oh God bless his soul, he's just so supportive throughout that period as much as I would let him. And even when I didn't let him, he still sent flowers to my office. He still brought me, he, he found out what I liked from my mom or from my sister or from our house help. Then he sent them. He still brought them himself. He still came to see me even when I didn't want to see him and he'd sit across the room. And then after an hour or two, he'd leave because I wouldn't talk to him. He was such a gentleman. And so that our son is born. And I remember the day our son was born. <laughs> he came, he held the baby. I remember him holding him like it would break. And then he gave him over and then he left. He was born in the morning at 6.30. And then he left. He didn't call. He didn't come the whole day. Until almost 9 p.m. I asked him, where have you been? He said, wow, I can't, I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> he said he was so overwhelmed by this whole new responsibility and like the love that he, he was tagged at him. It's, I can't explain, it's, it's, it's almost physical. You can almost feel it, like touch it like this. And, and then he was always there, always there. He'd come and see us every day. Literally, come rain, come shine. He'd come and see us every day. So this one time, we're having Bible study. But then he invites his colleagues from the office. And he doesn't tell me. So me, I've made dinner for Bible study. We used to be 12, about 12 guys. Then he comes with another almost 12 people. You know, even if an African woman, even if you're stretching your pot, you, you can only stretch it so far. So I'm okay pissed off. I'm like, you should have told me, man, that you're coming with your colleagues. Then somewhere he'd traveled. He'd gone to South Africa. He'd been to Robben Island. And and so he had recorded and he said, before we start, I want to, I want us to play something. So I'm seated at the very corner of the, of the sitting room. And it's, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's more rectangle and everyone is around. So people from his office knew what was happening. Me, I'm the only one who didn't know. So he plays this thing and we're seeing him in South Africa. We're watching. And then somewhere he keeps throwing lines, you know, like a kahook here, a kahook there. At you. Oh, I'm here thinking about you. I really miss you. I want to be with you. I'm like, so now I'm starting to get flustered. I'm like, Allah. so we watch, we watch, we watch. And then at the end, it slows down and he's on his knee and he says, will you marry me? On screen. So, you know, though you're watching something, just go, you're like... So when he kneels over there, he comes and kneels here. Then my mom was holding our son, Uko. She almost dropped him. She's like, oh! Then my folks, so my siblings got me from out of the corner and put me somewhere where it was there was more space. Now, because we are so many people in this house. And then, I, I don't know what I was holding. They took everything from me, and then now Bonnie's kneeling right in front of me. And... I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, do I shake his... My parents are right behind him. Like, I'm facing my folks. Do I shake his hand? Do I give him a hug? Do I... Yeah, what do I do? So I give him a hug. Oh, the Christian self in me. I give him a hug. That was his way of proposing. The, when we got married, so I've grown up in a very tight family. My siblings and also my cousins. We come from a very close-knit family. Again, you assume that this is how, this is what everyone has, or at least majority, or you don't think about it so much because this, this is what life is, right? You remember Bonnie has come from the other side of the bridge. So I don't know what his dreams for his family are like. Uh, I know what his dreams for the country, and they, 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 they feel just fine with me. I wanted seven children. Wow. I know. 
I wanted seven kids, but I quickly realized, e Kenya, all the best, girl, all the best. So I, whew, e Kenya, even then, even then, like 15 years ago, I was like, no, maybe not seven. Uh, we live in a nice place. The kids go to a nice private school. And then we'll have a kaka, we'll have a kapapi. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, that's, that's, that sounds about, that looks about right, you know. You know, we can be having picnics. We can be visiting the family, you know, his family, my family. I mean, yeah, I'm married now. Nice. Hey. <laughs> yeah, pause. Pause right there. When we got married, it was during PV, 2007, 2008. And we got married 2008 in March. And because he was a journalist, he calls and you're just hearing gunfire. You can't get hold of him. Then Kidogo in the news, you hear a journalist was shot. And then I don't want to call him because I don't want to imagine if he doesn't answer that it might have been him. And that was a very difficult time for me, like extremely difficult because seriously, he could have been shot. And he was he was covering the elections in Kibera. He's a Mwangi in a very low territory. So it scared the living daylights out of me every day. We just, we, our son is not one. He might not have a father by the time he's hitting one. So we get married during this time. And so uh, elections, uh, the violence continues. January goes on, February. And then Feb 28th, there's a handshake. And there is peace. Like, oh, as you are. Restore settings. But so many people have died. So many people have lost their property. So many people have left. I mean, so much has happened to so many lives. So we get married uh, a week, literally one week after that peace treaty was signed. And now Simia, my... And they lived happily, happily thereafter. Begins. He, there was no happily thereafter. Wow. I think post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is what we must, he must have been going through at that time because we fought about everything. Everything. If I wanted formula, if I wanted diapers, anything I asked for, anything I mentioned, Imeisha, even when I was not asking for money. Wow, my goodness. He'd go to work like at... 6 or 5 a.m. He'd come home at 1 or 2. So I'm never seeing this guy. And when I see him, we're fighting. And I'm like, I, I was so disillusioned. I'm like, gosh, this and marriage, what? My parents have displayed, you know, a relationship for me. This is the relationship. And this is what I know relationships are like. What the heck is this? And I remember thinking, I just want to go back home. My mom didn't kuzami. And that year was so, so, so difficult. I think it's the most one of the most difficult years of our relationships but then i tried to get him to see uh to speak to someone and nothing worked until he did the street exhibition pichamtani and for him a lot of what people would say during the exhibition it helped put words into what he was feeling and there was people who were violators perpetrators victims and people who came to the exhibition said me i'm sorry i was under the influence we had been paid it was stupid i wish i could undo it i'm sorry others just came and said me atasiju tulifanya nini me tulikuwa tu in the motion it was in the heat of the moment lakini nimeona what we did i would never do this again and others came and they had been running for since 207 and that moment it's like it gave them a chance to stop and and feel like guy i can stop i'm not in danger you 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 can see me you acknowledge that i lost my husband or my child or my property and people cried and it was a nationwide um exhibition so for me that was a very powerful time for kenyans but also for my husband it was a turning point because then he dealt to a certain extent with what he saw because 
one minute he's somewhere someone is walking across the street like in a blink of an eye that person is in pieces pieces of a human being or someone has been cut or shot i don't know if i was relieved about him leaving his job i think i just needed him to find himself and deal with whatever demons he was fighting he'd wake up in the middle of the night he's sweating and then he would not sleep but he never talked about what he was going through what he was dealing with and I just wanted him to know that I'm there for him. The very first time when and he's given a talk about this the day I stood up alone. I was watching TV it was 2009 June first. It was those my, my celebrations. So, you know, the president gets up to speak, then cameras move. There's this guy who's been manhandled like whoa. Like oh my gosh. I said akim toto amtu akiwoi. That is somebody who are surgery. I was like, "Oh, oh, that I hope he's fine or he will be fine." And the thing ended. The president gave his address and the event ended. Then someone called me and from Njeri Kwapi. I said I'm at home. I was actually on bed rest and he told me, "Umekatu kwa nyumba na bwana yako amechukuliwa." I'm like, "Huh? Nana, what? Hey, you're just seated there in the house. Your husband has been arrested. We don't even know where he's been taken." I'm like, "By who? Why?" Ujona tulikuwa hapo nyayo ameshikwa. Then everything just replayed in my head. That mtoto wenyewe. Hii ni baba ya mtu ni bwana ya mtu. Na huyo mtu ni mimi. Na huyo mtoto ni mtoto wetu. I was on bed rest. I had a miscarriage. That same I mean that time and i couldn't leave i was in so much pain and i remember caroline toko called me and to minjeri they've taken your husband we don't know where they've taken him but we'll find him don't worry she didn't know well how i was or where i was she just told me we'll find him and she was the one thing person that i was holding on to because I was like this one at least people know who she is and she can push her way through if no one tells me anything I I can call her and because she's called me herself I I should be surely she'll tell me and my mom came and my sister-in-law came to check on me because they knew I was on bed rest and they told me not to worry I'm like you guys know nothing but thanks then I was called I was told they'd taken him to Langata so my my mom and my sis went to langata then they called me and told me they've seen him and he's okay i'm like this is how people get told that he's dead you know you start you first create a screen saver mm. yeah then when you touch you're like oh, that's what it is and i i was so shattered my god i was like i can't handle then caroline talk called me and told me he's in langata i'm like ah basi ni ukweli then he was taken to hospital that night he didn't come home that night they held him in 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 i think industrial area they moved him but then he came home was it the, in the morning the following day and me in all my pain and with all the emotional mental i don't know what to call it i had gone through i looked at him and i was just glad that he was home like forget what has happened what is happening to me right now that you're standing here and i'm standing here and i just held him for guy i needed to feel that this is real mm-hmm. he's here himself you don't have to say anything and because he had sprained his ankle at least that there was nothing more severe you know physically but he was standing there i could see him i could feed him i could massage his leg the other time that was super stressful for me was when our last born graduated from kindergarten and i told him i don't care that there's a protest or whatever it is it's your son's day e kenya siya kopeke yako let kenyans come out your son needs you so let's go and be with our son so he comes then he says i you know i have to go I'm like i know so he spends some time with the kids during this kindergarten graduation takes photos and then he leaves and then the director of this softy the film answers a call just when this whole thing is over and he says hello uh-huh he didn't say anything else the only word he said was hello and okay after like an almost one minute conversation you know how long 60 mm-hmm. seconds is he says mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. one minute later he says 
okay. Then he hangs up. And I'm trying to read his face. He's, he, he just, there was nothing to read. He's not scared. He's not, it's not funny. I'm like, whatever that was. So I get into my car. My daughter has gone with someone else. My son had also wanted to go with someone else. So then they've gone, they've gotten a ride with um, a neighbor. But my, our last one wanted to be with me. So we go, we get into the car and we drive out. Then I call some guy who was with Bonnie. Ask him. My mom is a protest. He says, well, See, I'm like, uh-huh. Has anyone been arrested? I'm like, uh-huh. I'm like, mm-hmm. Then there's a moment of silence. Then he says, Moja. My blood stopped flowing. I'm on the bypass. I'm on the southbound bypass. And I'm like, why did he keep quiet? Why the silence? And I'm like, Nani? Then he says, Bonnie. I'm shoot. I hung up. I hung up. And then I remember Soko and that his monologue. Mm conversation i'm like what i'm like does that mean he's dead does that what does that what are you saying mm. i'm like i can't take that from him i call soko i tell him soko you knew then he says yeah i'm like and, you, and why, why didn't you tell me said i didn't know any more information i didn't want to give you half-baked information i wanted to find out what was going on and i didn't want to have any conversation with the kids there i'm like do this eh? you call whoever is around him make sure nobody calls me no one calls me about anything if he's dead you're the one who's going to tell me you figure out how you're going to find me and tell me if he's being taken to hospital you call me and tell me if he's in icu you call me and tell me i don't want to hear anything from anyone you're the one who's going to tell me and then he says okay see i need my blood to flow otherwise i'll die myself i stop the car i look at my son he was asleep as in peacefully asleep he's had a very good morning and i leave the car i cry like i'm by myself i pour out i cry so much luckily no one called me if anyone did i don't remember the rest is a you know and i drive home all the kids are there we're happy i'm i'm here in hell and i'm here in heaven all at the same time I'm burning on one side and on this side it's flowers and roses and all mm. beautiful things and they can't see this other side of me so you have to keep this side so we I stay with them for like 30 maybe 30 minutes maybe an hour keeping this side but then this side is starting to burn into this good side I tell them I have to go to town I need to take care of something I'm coming back I get out and I call so I tell him so then he tells me no 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 akosawa wanenda husi I'm like what state is in they've told me he's okay it was a tear gas canister that was shot in his chest i'm like and how is that not severe how is that how is he talking me i don't know in fact after shootiwe walirudi wakamit sijui wapi i was like so he even walked okay so i pick my good self up i jump onto my bike i'm going to meet them in hospital i think i know where they're going so i call i say i'm kwapi then he says wako kenyatta hospital i'm like eh? okay sour i switched off my phone and i went to the salon <laughs> I went to the salon, I had a manicure, I had a massage, I had a pedicure, like for three hours. Oh, I like the color. No, let's change this color. Then I go back home, tiptoeing. I could not deal. So I go home and I find he's seated there and he's eating with the kids and they're all here. They're like a magnet. Me, I'm like, Kai, how is this man sitting here today after he's been shot in the chest, like close range? So in... Uh, 2016 November he launches his book Unbounded and it was a whole you know event at Alliance Francaise and then some guy on that day for I don't remember for the life of me 
we had a lot of security detail. I think my husband senses sometimes, you know, and he's done that even before during a protest the day before he said something doesn't feel right. So he called his friend and told him, I need 10 people to surround me during this protest. And on that day of the protest, there was someone who came at him with a dagger. And I was like, always trust your gut. So on this particular day, he has, um, we have a lot of security around. And this guy comes and holds my hand and tells me, he comes and stands by, by next to me, by the way. You know, we are looking, we're listening. And then he says, I have a message for your husband. I'm like, hmm? then he says, your life is at risk. You need to do something. Kwasababu, you're going to be killed. I'm like, who? He says, it's all here in the letter. Then he gives me a brown envelope. And I'm like, okay, thanks. Like, what, what do, I, do I run out? Like, am I, am I about to, me? I'm being killed now. Who? But it's all in the letter. Okay. So again, we had a lot of security detail. They come and take the envelope. They read it and we find out the following day, it's a whole it's a whole story and the threat is such that so my husband we've been threatened so many times and i think if my husband wrote the kind of threats and when they came there would be just so many and i'd probably say 90 percent of those i don't know but i can tell when something is off but he won't tell me and i'm like it's okay that you shield me and protect me from those ninnies is fine but this particular one it has come to me yeah and i don't know the nature of this threat and he says that he's such a high profile that it is easier to get at him through his wife or his children and that is where me i draw the line i'm like why i'm not going to sit around and wait for whatever that threat might be for you to be threatened they might kill me they might abduct me they might harm the children i'm like imagine i can't that's when we left the country because for me i was like now now this is just i can't i can't think i look behind my shoulder like i've stolen a, a border rides past me when i'm in the car i'm like they could just open fire and shoot and i'm like i can't i can't handle this like i won't being in the states i don't even know if to call it lonely but yes i think it was lonely it was painful it was confusing i was very angry wow my life stopped how do you leave when you stop leaving <laughs> i need to do better than this my kids might listen to this one of these days but I still want them to know that it wasn't easy because my life completely stopped. I was taken in by a friend and I lived in their basement and they took me like their family, like like they'd been waiting for me. Like this was a time that they knew was coming and I would be coming to live with them. They provided for me everything. They mothered me, they sistered me, they parented me. They gave me more than I thought I ever needed. They closed me, they fed me. And my children, I mean, the state is hard as it is. But they took us in. For me, I could not find, I don't know how I found the will to leave one day after another. I guess my kids, because I was like, this, these guys have given me everything. And uh, the most I can do is give back. How do I give back? They have to go to work. I don't. So I made sure I washed back at the roof. <laughs> corner to corner i cleaned i cooked i made sure their kids i was taking care of six children my three and their three i made sure that everything was top notch when they came home i just i almost removed their feet and put it on a chair so you don't have to do anything i'll serve you how do i give back i'm eternally grateful that they opened their home and their hearts because they didn't make me feel like a victim of anything they didn't ask they didn't pry into into my life they didn't judge they didn't question and even if they might have they never made me feel in any way that my time here is yo even anything they said you don't need to go i don't think it's safe for 
for you to go yet. And I kept telling myself, when will it be safe? Like, what am I now? What am I doing now? What I don't know what my future even looks like. If I was to even stay here, what would I be doing? How would I be doing it? As in, where should I be thinking about how I'm going to survive here? Or should I be thinking about reuniting my family and bringing us back together that for me was a very difficult time and then i could not support my husband i'm like this this guy is doing this for the very first time i have no idea how he's managing i, I don't know how he's coping we're not able to talk i'm angry at him and not at him at the system i'm mad that i had to leave to be safe why our children i've tried to protect them and i've told them we, we'd come for a white christmas and then i told them we can't afford the ticket we're trying to get some money to raise the ticket that is working very had so that he can afford tickets for all of us so when he gets the money and we buy the tickets we'll go back so that i think must be the the most difficult time of our relationship of my life of our family generally my kids maybe i will find out what they thought and felt during that time or now knowing what they will know what they think my oldest is is uh, i mean he's older he's more mature he can ask you some questions mom just tell me I'm like tell you what things are not okay. I I know I can tell. I'm like, "Hmm." And when you ask that, I I don't hide from him. I may not tell him the whole truth 100%, but I'll tell him you're right. Um this is what's happening and it scares me. I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm just I'm just a little bit anxious, you know. But I I I know it's going to be okay, but I'm just a bit anxious about it and I'll tell him what it is. But I remember this one time. I don't remember what triggered this conversation. And I thought I think maybe we had lost a very close friend. And I imagined What would I tell my children if their father died? How do I explain it to them because they kept saying that our friend was coming back. They kept asking me when is he coming back? And I'm like he's not coming back. Like he's gone. How do I explain to them what death means? And I told them that I'll put you on a bus and I'll tell the driver to where to let you off and and I won't put you all at the same time. Like that, you go, you stop there. Then I've while later the other one will come and alight and then the other one will come and alight and then I'll come and alight and maybe someone else will come even when you stand at the bus stop you'll see many people alighting and such is death when you go you go you get off the bus of life you don't get back into that bus that bus continues moving without you in it so if dad died he'd be the first one out of the bus of life and that would mean that bus continues moving with everyone in it without him in it and it's very difficult and it's why we are so sad because we lost our friend because he's not in this bus of life and i don't know if they understood that maybe now that they are older they have a, a better understanding of what death is but for me i felt like at that time i was also trying to prepare myself so that if anything happened i had a reference i tell them you remember what i told because they'd ask me when dad is coming back because they were so young what do i tell them but you remember what i told you about the bus and about the bus of life and so I was kind of preparing myself for a difficult conversation god forbid I had to have it and that I think for me that's been the most difficult conversation I've had to had with them when I first watched softy was in december uh, last year so soko has filmed our lives over a long period of time and then he has put all those things together and i don't know what material he has because i was not all i'm not the camera so he has had moments with my husband he's had moments with our kids he's had moments with me some of which i told him by the owner to me yo and even for me to trust him and you know to say some things that i said to him in confidence i think he knew what to not use but i didn't know what he had pieced together and also knowing that he didn't do this alone there are many people who have seen this 
many hours of footage that have decided to pick what is now softy. And I'm like, that's a lot of life. That has a, that's a lot of my life on camera. So when I first saw it, I saw stuff about Bonnie I didn't know. I saw stuff. I saw my children struggle. And I felt like, oh my gosh, you have had to deal with so much. And I really cried. Aki, I'm a crier. <laughs> I cried so much. I, I, I had no, I didn't know what to say. I just told Soko, you know what, that's a lot to process. Because then again, when you look at it, it, it takes me back to times in my life that I thought I have dealt with a lot of things, you know. And I'm okay, yeah. But then when I start talking about some things, it comes from all the way from my toes right into my eyes. Like, pew. I don't know where it comes from, but it's it takes me back there with the fears, with the anxieties, with the with the extreme joy. It's such a mix of emotions that is so overwhelming. So for me, that film was, it took me back to so many moments in my life. So many of them. Some I'm happy to remember. Some I'm like, I never wanted to remember this. What you see as a minute is a week or a month of my life. But you see a, a minute and then another minute. And for me, that's a very long time. This film was shot in five years. And also it exposes me because I'm a very private person. So to see this whole very big screen, I was like, oh my God. It's too big, it's too much. And then I saw it again. Uh, so I saw it in December with just Bonnie and the director. Then I saw it again at Sundance when we were in the States. And this time I watched it with the kids. And they felt what I felt. We found out stuff about each other that we didn't know. And they also really cried. So again, it takes me back into all those moments. And then I feel for them. And then seeing themselves, see themselves. I, I, how overwhelmed I was, I was feeling now times two myself and for them. This film is about Jerry and her children, but Jerry is Jerry is a people, is mm-hmm. is a woman somewhere in the world, not just in Kenya. It's not just a black woman. So Jerry first is a woman, then is a mother and is a wife. And when you see this film, you see you as a woman, as a mother or a wife, you see yourself in this film. So my my hope is that you will see yourself and you will see your children and you will see your spouse and you will see your country. So I hope people see themselves in the characters in this film. And when I say characters, I mean through my life, through the life of my children, through the life of my husband, and then determine for themselves that they want to to be counted for something, to not allow themselves ever again to leave people who are human rights defenders just go and defend. You risk it all, it's fine. If you die, another one will rise. We kill our own activists by not supporting them. And support, I'm not saying give them money, CG, what. If there's a protest, show up. If there's money that needs to be given so that placards can be done, t shirts can be done, then you can send in your contribution. If you can't be in the streets and you're a keyboard warrior, imagine keyboard that thing until those things disappear from the Nini and then replace it. Find your place. This is war. Find your place in this war and occupy it fully because we can't all be secretaries. We can't all be drivers, but we need secretaries. We need cooks. We need drivers. You look at what's happening in Nigeria. People are in the streets and they are cooking for the people who are uko. So what will it take for us? What are we waiting for? Because our country needs to change. We can't continue like this. For how long? We must want better for ourselves. But no one is bringing us better. We have to go and get it ourselves. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. That story is so powerful. 
it's just as powerful as Softy the film, which I, I really want you to go and watch. I've always been so intrigued by Njeri. I remember the first time I saw her was we were somewhere in Machakos County for a Feature Uchi initiative. So Feature Uchi is a program by my friend Billion. He actually makes sure school children have uniforms to go to school in. What happens is, you know, you go to a school with tailors and everything and, you know, you play games with the kids as the tailors have taken the measurements and they're making their uniforms. It's a really brilliant program. So I remember we were in Machakos County. It was so hot. And Jerry and a couple of other girls came and they're part of this bikers team. And I just, just I was like, these chicks are so badass. Like, <laughs> But I remember being very intrigued by her and wondering, I wonder what her story is. And this is years ago. But if you watch Softy the film, I assure you, you will feel each and every emotion of hers because she really is the core of that film. And she lets us into such vulnerable spaces in her life. I don't know, it's... It's one of those films you just have to watch. So in the description of this episode, there's a link to the Instagram page of Softy the Film, the official page, and they post all the screening details there. Right now, I think it's screening in various cinemas in Nairobi and also in Eldoret. Obviously, with time, there will be more screenings in other counties. If you're not in Kenya, still go to the page because it's available in other countries as well and as i said at the beginning everyone has got to watch this film i'm actually in the process of trying to buy a couple of tickets to do a giveaway on my instagram hopefully this week we'll have that figured out but in the meantime link in the description of this episode to softy the film's instagram page head over there now back to stories if you want to share your story on this podcast all you have to do is record a one minute story demo and send it to the legally clueless hotline number that is plus two five four seven six eight six two eight seven nine zero i mean the story demo is just you tell me a bit about the story you want to share and we'll take it from there and also if you listen to an episode in the story we're all one big happy tribe if you listen to a story you're just like oh my god i've been through that as well it, it makes you think something and you want to share that you can record an audio note and share that with me as well on the legally clueless hotline number hi adele this is sharon and first off i'd love to say how i seriously relate to your podcast almost every story i just feel it so deeply and your podcast just so does something for me i don't know how to explain this but i haven't found another podcast that i relate to as much as i relate to yours and just you being open about what you're struggling with um how you're making moves and i find that just so needful thank you so much sharon for the kind words and i do believe you also sent a story demo as well thank you thank you thank you thank you and to everybody who sent story demos don't worry if i take a bit of time to get back to you the hotline number sometimes gets really flooded but i respond to each and every one just maybe not as fast <laughs> As you'd like but i love reading the the messages for myself so don't worry i'm definitely gonna get to your message and i'm definitely gonna hit you back do remember that this podcast also plays on trace radio here in kenya if you go to traceradio.co.ke there's a list of all the frequencies that you can catch trace on legally clueless plays every monday wednesday and friday at 9 a.m and at 8 p.m Oh, and also, in case you don't want to tune in the old school way, on traceradio.co.ke, you can also stream 
trace there that is such a tank twister but yes you can okay so fall has just bust into my office um with popcorn though so at least you're bringing gifts what's happening sorry to disturb your recording but i've made some popcorn in whose pots your pot did you burn it foul like no you always leave the sufuria the pot with like black black things in fact my favorite pot has not yet recovered from your last popcorn situation i did google there's no burn you googled how to make popcorn without burning <laughs> all right this is how you debut on <laughs> Why are you running? Why are you running? Why are you running? <laughs> That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.